Good evening, everyone, and welcome to High Spirits. I'm Jay Steigman, and with me, as always, is my best pal, Noelle Schmidt. And we host a show called High Spirits in which we drink alcohol and we talk about ghosts. Noelle, what are you drinking? I'm drinking um, something you may have heard of before called Boda Box Red Volution. Boda Box, it's wine in a box, and I've got a case of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm drinking a little known beer. It's very craft. It's very like inside ball for beer lovers. It's called Coors Light. It's from the beautiful mountain of Coors, from uh, Coors, Colorado. Hashtag Coors. Thanks, Coors. Uh, when you last left us, we were talking about Lizzie Borden, her you case, and uh, kind of what was up with that. And uh, Noelle was uh, uh, teasing us with some with some ghosts. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're just going to pick that right back up. What is uh, up with that? Um. <laughs> yeah somehow quarantine has made you older and it has made me younger i don't i don't understand that the aging process i know makes i now have a picture of dorian gray and it gets older and i get younger and i'm an old recluse it's <laughs> who has her groceries delivered um oh, by the way um i should say this uh in case you're tuning in i don't know why you tune into part two without listening to part one we are not together we believe in the mission we are in quarantine and uh we are doing this over skype so uh no reckless behavior on uh you know staff and crew and high spirits um mm-hmm. we are we're just yeah we're here and we're picking up where we left off mm-hmm yeah, we want to say thank you, Internet, for staying strong and not breaking on us yet. You have been our constant. Um, in addition to all of our healthcare workers and frontline workers and essential workers out there, thank you for all you do. And you, Internet, again, can't thank you enough. Okay, so when we last left, Lizzie Borden was... Um, arrested for the murder of her father and stepmother by axe. She's now been in jail for 10 months and the trial has begun. Um, uh, like I la- we last spoke, this has often been compared to the trial of OJ Simpson because it was so sensationalized and um, covered nationally on uh, by the media on a national level. So it was uh, one reporter described it as there has never been a trial so full of surprises with such marvelous contradictions given by witnesses called for a common purpose. And then I said, the English language is dead because I love that sentence so much. <laughs> it's so nice. All right. So um, on June 5th, 1893, the trial had began. Now, it's really important to recognize that the judges quickly threw out the inquest, and here's why. Um, Like I said in the last episode, Lizzie's lawyer was not allowed to be present, and so uh, the judges considered this basically to be entrapment, and that her testimony was inadmissible for that reason, because she didn't have her Miranda rights read to her Hmm. and she had a right to be silent. And so that was a big blow to the prosecution right off the bat. The prosecution um, was Hosea M. Knowlton and William H. Moody, who you may know as a future Supreme court justice. I did not know that. 
he was. Um, now you know. Yeah. <laughs> now, another, another quick side note. Five days before the trial began, there was another axe murderer or axe murder that happened in Fall River. Fall River, just a heads up, like is a really small town in northern Massachusetts. It's, um, I think it's 90 miles from Rhode Island. It's a very kind of like remote location. So it's up in that northern part of Massachusetts. It's absolutely gorgeous and wooded and lovely, but it's a very small place. So um, Bertha Manchester was found dead in her kitchen it bore the death bore a striking resemblance to the Borden murders, um, but there w- they ultimately found that there was no relation. The man who was convicted of her murder was a man by the name of Jose Correa, Correa de Mello, de Mello, probably, who was a Portuguese immigrant. Um, he was convicted of the murder in 1894. And was determined to not have been in the vicinity of Fall River at the time of the Borden murders. But he was considered at some time. And it was thought that he may have worked for the Bordens at one point and went to their house to ask for money for or for payment for his services. And Andrew basically slammed the door in his face and said he didn't have any money for him. Mm-hmm. So he was a, a suspect at some point. Um. So the trial begins, um, and I thought that I had put in who the defense attorneys were, and it looks like I did not. But it's worth noting that um, one of her attorneys was uh, the former governor of the state, and the other was the family attorney. Hmm. So she had um, she had a pretty strong like she had a lot of support behind her from her family, um, at least like her mother's her maternal mother's family. That I'm mm-hmm. sorry, that makes sense, right? Um, yeah, because you would imagine that the stepmother's family was like what? Right, her maternal family and um, like her her immediate family, her sister and the staff as well of the house were all very much supportive of her. The biggest point of the trial for the prosecution was the hatchet head that was found in the basement. They tried to argue that the handle had been removed because it was covered in blood, which is why they only found the hatchet head. Hmm. Yet, remember, they never took anything from the house. Um, Well, here's here's what I know about murder. People often... Uh, use implements from the household, clean them off, put them back where they're supposed to go. (laughs) And then they get out of Dodge. Uh, Yeah. It was pretty suspicious. Mm -hmm. They'll never guess if I just put this knife right back on the magnet strip. Right. Um, Well, and now we have, uh, what is the substance? What is the stuff that they spray now? Luminol. Luminol. Yeah. So it's so easy. Um. Yeah, I mean, if if we would have had, for, like, forensic science at this point. Oh, yeah, forget it. It would have been a slam dunk case. Um, okay, so Andrew and Abby's heads were removed during the autopsies, and they were admitted as evidence at one point. And the prosecutor um, just kind of, like, tossed them on the table, just very kind of carelessly. And at the sight of them, Lizzie fainted, and that was kind of a spectacle. Mm in the trial as well. So of course, like 
again, a lot of this made for good media. So reporters were all over it. Like they were constantly like doing renderings and taking pictures of like everything that was happening in the court. I also forgot to note that um, there were so many spectators for this case. They had to limit the amount of people in the, in the courthouse. And then additionally, like we see today, people who couldn't get in just waited outside mm. get word from, from the reporters or from, uh, um, remember the Michael Jackson case where they had doves and every time he was like, yes, <laughs> every time they would like let out a dove, they were like nine doves. <laughs> and it was like, he was charged for nine different things on this y'all. Like, I mean, even if one, whatever, it doesn't matter. The evidence was so, was so there that it just seems weird. Whatever. I'm not going to get in the weeds about that, but. Uh, no, it's really easy to, because I, it's just such a, what if he was convicted for one? Like there's just so many things. Yeah. And well, like the R. Kelly groupies that ended up like falling in love with him as he was on trial. Right. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, we see this all the time. There's always these like, I don't want to call them mobs, but like there are these large group of people, groups of people that are on either side that always stand outside and they're they're just kind of like waiting and protesting in a in a kind of a way. What does that remind you of? Does it remind you of anything? Anything happening in contemporary society? I can't think of one thing. No, I think everyone's behaving very rationally during this time, <laughs> not endangering others at all. Um, <laughs> fun keeping everybody. Uh, so they um, there at one point was talk that Lizzie had gone to the local drugstore to purchase prussic acid. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, reportedly for cleaning a seal skin cloak. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, she, you know, allegedly went there the day before the murders to get this, the drug, the judge ruled, um, that the incident was too remote in time to have any connection and threw out that evidence. So, um, and what the prosecution wanted from that testimony from that druggist or that pharmacist was basically to talk about what the prussic acid would do to someone if they had ingested it or it had been applied to them and like how that yeah. might make them drowsy or make them not be able to like defend themselves in any way. And like how, so they're going to talk about like basically the chemistry of all of that, how it breaks down in the system. And the judge was like, Nope. Yeah. <clears throat> that's and, not, that's not good. No, it's not good at all. Like that would have been, that would have been a really big win for the prosecution if they would have been able to like prove, like have that testimony happen and prove that she did go to inquire about it at least. Um, but that was thrown out. So that didn't happen. Um, now on the counter side of this, this we've already talked about how uh, the crime scene was contaminated because of all of the, visitors and uh, local townspeople that came and walked through the house and just tampered with everything, basically. In addition to that, um, there was evidence that Abby was struck on the head by, or struck from the beginning by a tall man from behind, by the 
um, the leverage, it looked like she would have been struck from above instead of from below or from and the side. All of you listening are missing out on an incredible <laughs> amount of object work that Noelle is showing me. Uh, she put her hands above her head <laughs> and then she brought an ax down. So right. there we go. Yeah. That's how you chop a tree, right? Straight I down. really don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, a leading physician stated that hacking in almost a positive sign is, wait, I'm sorry. Let me start over. A leading physician stated that hacking is almost a positive sign of a, of a deed by a woman who is unconscious in what she is doing. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now, remember how I had said in the last episode that Lizzie had been prescribed morphine for her nerves? Uh-huh. So this physician, or her doctor actually said, um, that that could potentially have led to some kind of confusion for her. Nah, well, I mean... I'm with you. I'm, 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 I just think Lizzie was a psycho, but um, so no, many I, women were um, prescribed laudanum, um, mm-hmm. which is like the, um, uh, they're, they're, with the, in the wealthy class, there was a bit of like, kind of like with Oxycontin, there was like a little bit of prescription drug abuse and laudanum was a uh, big one. I sort of have a little bit of a theory that Lizzie might have already been taking uh, morphine and they continue to let her take it because the withdrawal and the shit, the like shit storm would have been like worse. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not sure on that. And, and, no, I, I struggle so, with that one as well. Yeah. So she yeah. might've been what we would call now a prescription drug abuser, but at the time it was like, Oh, she's so sad. She takes these drugs. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, wit- several witnesses testified they never saw blood on her. Um, she was wearing that blue dress that we talked about earlier. The blue dress comes up a lot. Um, hey, that sounds like something else that we know about. What other the Lewinsky had a blue dress and Linda Tripp recently died. Well, yeah. ha- look at us just calling all these things together. I love this. Look at us. <laughs> Uh, The presiding uh, associate judge, Justin Dewey, who had been appointed by um, Lizzie's attorney, former Governor Robinson, uh, (laughs) delivered a lengthy summary at the end of the trial that supported the defense. um, And he gave a charge to the jury, basically (laughs) saying that they needed to consider her to be innocent before they went to deliberate on June 20th, 1893, it was wildly scrutinized and reported. And a lot of reporters just kind of talked about how bizarre this all was. Um, There's a lot more to this trial. I don't want to get too far into it because there's, there's a lot of things. A lot of people comment on how, um, how well the the defense performed. And this is another reason why I think there are a lot of parallels to the OJ case because they were very dramatic and yeah. theatrical in their acts. And they, uh, they were able to get most of the prosecution's witnesses to contradict themselves. So they were very crafty in their yeah. wording and they would kind of catch things. So it was, it was people reference this case for the way the defense 
um, acted and behaved in a lot of ways because they were able to find so many loopholes. Yeah, they were working it. They were working it for sure. It's really interesting. Uh, so the jury deliberated for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a double murder. It's I mean, <laughs> what talk need, about? Who needs the time? <laughs> you and I have spent more on this fucking episode than they did. <laughs> I know, isn't that incredible? An hour and a half. <laughs> And, um, or how long it takes to make a souffle. I don't know. (laughs) This may be shocking, but, uh, Lizzie was acquitted. So when when the foreman handed the verdict to the judge and the judge read not guilty, Lizzie put her head down on the handrail in front of her and, um, turned to her sister and gave her a big hug. And I did, I don't have the direct quote, but it was something about, let's go back to that old place that we call home. Jesus. And, uh, I was hoping you would say, I got away with it. (laughs) Whoops. We did it. Remind me to say that only in the old place we call home. (laughs) She she definitely called it like referred to it as like that old place. Um, She got herself a big old house after this. She sure did. She sure did. We're going to talk about that in a sec. Uh, so as she left the courthouse, she told reporters she was the happiest girl in the world. Um, Sorry about my parents. That's too bad for them. Hope they find the real murderer. <laughs> they're out there somewhere. Um, so to this day, the case... Look in everyone else's barn for a hatchet head. <laughs> He killed my pigeons. What? Um, so to this day, the, the murders remain unsolved and Lizzie still remains the primary suspect. So here's some speculation mm-hmm. around the murders and what possibly happened. Uh, the first is that, that we've been talking about that Lizzie commuted or I'm sorry, committed the murders in a fugue state. Number two, it was patricide. She was physically and sexually abused by her father. Yep. Now, there's no evidence to support this, however. <laughs> by the way, when is there ever, like, a shit ton of evidence except for, like, one's own observations about how weird this family was? Right. Well, aside from and that. you're not going to find, like, a captain's logbook that's, like, August 17th, 1867. Baked my daughter. Right. Father and I lay in the day. (laughs) We went to the pat, you know, the patch in the back. Like, no, you don't. So the, the thing though about this is that this was just not something you discussed at the time. And at the time we don't discuss it now. Don't discuss it now. You're totally right. And so they wouldn't have collected evidence because why would they have even speculated it? It's just not, it wasn't a thing. Um, there is a woman by the name of uh, Marshall Car- Marcia Carlyle who included th- this theory in an essay that she wrote in 1992. Um, it was also speculated by some local papers at the time of the murder as well. So it was out there, but n- it was never pursued and it never went further. Um, and I think there, based on what we know now, yeah. I think this is a very, very plausible theory 
And very likely that she was, especially considering the fact that both of these women were in their thirties and still living at home. Yep. There's a lot behind that. There's, there's and a lot it, yeah. about that. Did that article come out in 92 because of the Menendez is, because this Ooh, feels I, like Menendez 2.0. It totally does. It totally. And I kept thinking that the whole time when I was reading through all this too. Um, I don't think it's related, but I also didn't look into it if there are parallels around that, but that's totally possible. Um, in 1984, there uh, is a novel. You're going to hate this. Um, <laughs> Thanks for the heads up. <laughs> so I can not. emotionally prepare. Maybe not. <laughs> Just like 1984 theories. Um, there's a novel called Lizzie written by a gentleman by the name of Ed McBain. He speculates that she committed the murders after being caught up in a lesbian tryst with Sullivan. Um he claims that Abby caught them and Lizzie killed her with a candlestick. She then confessed to Andrew when he returned home, but killed him in a fit of rage with a hatchet when he became upset about Abby. <laughs> and then she went upstairs to hatchet that woman too. So there was verisimilitude and no one noticed that the blood clots were like it totally, well, I guess they didn't have that much science then. But. Yeah, there's so many holes with this. Um, it, it, it's possible that they had a relationship, but I think that the her confessing to her father that she killed her stepmother because she found out about her lesbian Seems relationship. Seems great. Wait, wait, yeah, why would you do that? Right. Now, Sullivan did later marry a man and mo- moved to Butte, Montana. Um Allegedly, on her deathbed, she gave a confession to her sister or a close friend, depending on what you read, that she changed her testimony in the trial to protect Borden. Um, It was also reported or rumored later in Borden's life that she was a lesbian, which would also explain why she was still living at home and unwed at her age. Um, And I think that's seeing what where she landed later in her life that is also another plausible mm-hmm. theory um but i don't think it's a reason to kill her father and stepmother in any way probably not no um another theory is that john morse did it john morse you remember was the brother of lizzie and emma's mother sarah uh-huh. Um, according to law enforcement, Morse had provided an absurdly perfect and over-detailed alibi for the death of Abby Borden. They didn't, um, they, when he left the house, he had said he was leaving to go do chores at his farm. Um, he had been considered a suspect for some time. I also want to call back that there was the physician that, um, said that Abby was killed from a tall, killed by a tall man. Mm-hmm. Above. So hold on to that. And some more theories. Sullivan did it. Uh, it was retaliation for having her clean the windows on a hot day. Apparently, oh, please. The day of the I murders, just can't. The day Bullshit. of the murders was a very hot day and she had still been recovering from the food poisoning. And so she was <laughs> angry that they made her do that again. Yeah, what, what is so insane is clearly this maid was eating rotten meat because of this miser. Right. And like, I don't know she finally had it and hatched them, but like no one ever accused her or ever really talked about it. And then in Butte, Montana, she had other things to say, 
This is like hilarious <laughs> speculation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's such a rich people move to be like, maybe it's the pool boy. They always say it's the pool boy. It's never the fucking pool boy. It's a family member. The butler did. Uh, Get it together. I know. <laughs> you know, because because after years in this like shit ass house on the third floor, she finally got it together to to murder her boss on the first floor in his couch. That's ridiculous. Also, if or don't forget she was sick from food poisoning. And yeah. anybody who's had food poisoning knows that your body is just destroyed and you're so yeah. weak. You're not gonna be able to murder somebody by hatchet. Come on. <laughs> let's get it together Seriously. Lizzie had full it's like a video game guys Lizzie had full power because she was in a boarding house and then she came home she just like went hatchet crazy she rampaged we will post pictures of Lizzie Mo- uh, Lizzie Borden but I will say this she was a solid woman like she had uh, I mean or she wore really wide shoulder d- yeah. dresses but she was I mean she definitely looked like she worked in the barn and like yeah. chopped some wood. Yeah. The Ricci does her a disservice by playing her because you look at Christina Ricci and you're like, Oh, what a wave. But the pictures will tell us that Lizzie Borden was like structurally strong enough to do this. Totally. Definitely. Um, another theory is that William Borden, a man by the name of William Borden, who had been suspected to be Andrew's illegitimate son did it. But after further investigation, he was probably not Andrew's son. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> okay, red herring. There are like you know you know the sites that we go to sometimes, which are just like all these like embellished stories. Yeah. There like there was one story about how like he showed up on their doorstep and was like, "I'm your son," and Andrew was like, "Please leave." Um, yeah. It's a completely fabricated story, but. You, you know at the time like they're also like we still do it now we're like we want to get people to read our stuff and we want them to notice us and get attention and um hear us out so we make things up so wait who's this we that you're doing not we and not you and me but oh um, <laughs> I was like do you mean human beings i don't do that no but there are some that do uh and i think that especially in the late 1800s um, there were so many different newspapers that were competing with each other for the headlines. So it was easy to kind of embellish on a lot of this. You, so for, for people in 2020, uh, they used to call it yellow journalism, but now we just call it clickbait. So it's exactly the same. Yep. Good. Oh, yellow journalism. Good call out. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and finally, Emma did it. Emma, you may remember, is Lizzie's sister who was in Fairhaven. I said New Bedford before, but she had gone to Fairhaven, um, which I believe is also in Massachusetts. I have—I don't know my New England geography very well. Uh, she did have a solid alibi in Fairhaven, but it's speculated that she secretly visited the residence to kill Andrew and Abby, Abby and then returned to Fairhaven in time to receive the telegram that they were dead. That's probably so. After the trial, um, I will say this: those girls were in cahoots. Oh, totally. Women, by the way, they're not girls. They're They're not girls. And I have a, I have more of a theory on that actually, um, which we're gonna get to in a little bit. Uh, so after the after the trial, Emma and Lizzie moved. They stayed in the Hill neighborhood of um. 
shoot, is it River Fall? Fall River? I have to Are scroll. you doing uh, It's a Wonderful Life? <laughs> Fall River, Massachusetts. <laughs> Bedford Falls, River Falls. <laughs> it's also nice. And good. Like every like Massachusetts town has a waterfall and they just could not stop calling their town something falls. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how everything in Illinois is a brook or has opened <laughs> it or park. Yeah. A glen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all right. Everything in Minnesota is a lake. Lake this, like this, like that, like that. Very true. And in Iowa, it's cedar. Um, okay. So they moved into a large And in house. Florida, it's alligator, comma, swamp. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Accurate. It depends, on the, it depends on the region, though. Like, either things are beach, comma, view, or <laughs> up north. <laughs> alligator comes swamp and central Florida and the town uh, I founded called rifle town. Oh no. You get what you get with the name. <laughs> you get your second amendment, right? Oh man. Okay. <laughs> so they move into the, this large house in the same neighborhood. So in this affluent neighborhood of the Hill, uh, Lizzie names the house Maplecroft. <laughs> Maplecroft falls. <laughs> on the hill um, she begins going by the name Elizabeth A. Borden uh, she becomes very involved in theater and often entertains bohemians and artists uh, <laughs> they will do anything for a ducat okay. <laughs> you murdered someone cool um, my improv troupe uh, needs a place to rehearse <laughs> That's so dark. So you have a big house, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So you like things that other people don't. Great. Do you think we can maybe like set up a stage? Oh, these acoustics are so good in here. I mean, for every artist that like hooked up with an eccentric millionaire, it's just. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like, this is of course how her life ended. Uh, Huh. Your backstory like compromises my ethics, but oh, (laughs) <laughs> I like what you said about the acoustics, but oh, uh, we can harmonize in here. <laughs> right. Oh, hold on, hold on. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, your house looks like Hamlet's castle, and these curtains are perfect for my production. These are velvet, right? Are they fireproof? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's ghosts here already because of you. Great. This this show will be neat. Never turn that one light off. <laughs> um, in, uh, in 1905, Elizabeth and Emma had an argument during a party held for an actor- actress, Nancy O'Neill. Not clear what the argument was about, but uh, Emma moved out of the house and the two, the two women never spoke again. Oh, uh, I was like, don't you fucking tell people what I did to stepmom and dad. Perhaps. Yeah, so, well, I mean... Emma moved up to uh, New Hampshire where she spent the rest of her days. On June 1st, 1927, Lizzie died of pneumonia. That's my birthday, June 1st, 1927. (laughs) Don't look a day of it. Thank you. Good for you. I TikTok. Um, (laughs) I don't know what that is. Uh, Her funeral details were never published, and there were very few attendees. At her funeral, nine days later, Emma died of 
nephritis, which I did look up and I've now forgotten what it is. I, I didn't. It's a liver disease. Yeah. Right. What it was. Um, is it still in my search history? So <laughs> I totally looked it up and up. Oh, that was not right. Not you look it up. I'm looking it up. And I'll keep talking. Um, the sisters were buried side by side. So they were actually built in the, uh, or I'm sorry, built, buried um, with the rest of the family. Um, Jay, should we talk about ghosts? Noel, nephritis is a kidney disease. Ah, okay. So it's not a liver disease, like I had just said. It is right. uh, a malfunction of the kidneys. So that could be like a regular thing that happens or... Uh, it could be an onset of, uh, some malfeasance. We don't know. Uh, yeah, there, there could be a lot of things that go into that. So, I mean, both women were in their, well, Emma was 76. Um, I think they were three years apart. If Damn, I remember. they kept a 40 year secret. Then they got in a fight and then they never spoke again. It's crazy. Right. And Holy. they didn't speak for, they didn't speak for 22 years. Whoa. That family holds some grudges. I'm just going to say. Yeah, they needed something. They needed something. Like, yeah. I know they didn't do therapy back then, but they needed they, they needed someone to unpack that box for them. Those boards yeah. are fucked up. I think there was some serious, serious trauma happening in that home. Yeah. There um, was. So let's talk about ghost stuff. Hell yeah. Yeah, we are. Okay, so I want you to know that the house that Lizzie, the Lizzie Borden murders were um, committed in is now a B&B that you can stay at and you, they, do, um, they do tours and you can spend the night. So um, if you stay the night, here are some things you can expect. You can sleep in the room where Abby was murdered. Super morbid. <laughs> no thanks. On top of that, uh, the room is decorated with framed crime scene photos of what? Abby's death. Yes. Dude, that's it's not okay. It's so morbid. It's that's so, disgusting. it's a lot. Um, the house is owned by uh, the McGinn family. It's been in their possession since the mid-1900s. Um, and they, I, I didn't note this, but I think if I'm remembering correctly, they opened it up for tours and as a B&B in 1996. Oh. Um, the furniture is an original, but the owners are very committed to maintaining the image. So they're definitely treating it as an attraction. They recognized that they could capitalize this. And a lot of the reasoning behind that was because there were always onlookers and like people trying to like sneak into the house or take pictures or look through the window. So they were like, this can kind of quell that a little bit if we open it up and make it an attraction. Um, and of course they're going to make some money off of it as well. Now <clears throat> counterpoint, uh, that is true. Um, Amityville knows it. John Wayne Gacy's house knows it. Now the deal though, with John Wayne Gacy's house is they tore it down. Mm-hmm. They, they were like, yeah, we get it, but it's so, I mean, you know, by the way, their crimes are totally different. Like Lizzie Borden killed two people. Of course she did. But, uh, you know, John Wayne Gacy killed what upwards of like 37. But to me, it seems like the responsible thing to do is like knock down the how. 
Yeah, because it's on a decent plot of land. Like yeah, you it can is. Build and you can, um, but you know, we are Americans and we are capitalists. Well, here's so what I know about ghostesses. Away. Ghostesses will stay. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily care if you tear the house down. Um, they might be more vocal then, but I mean, we, we have, if you're going to believe in ghosts, we know that there are some sites already that people shouldn't build on. So, I mean, if we're all thinking that like, oh, we have got, we got to keep the house. So Abby lives on. So like Papa Borden lives on. So, you know, Lizzie lives on. That's just for the living. It's just for the living. They can do whatever. I mean, ghosts can do whatever they want. So these people are just like kind of nasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nope. End of screed. I'm sorry. I get on soapboxes about this, but it's kind of a shitty thing to do. I no. I I totally agree with you. Um, I it's it's just morbid. Capitalizing mm-hmm. on someone's death is really morbid. Now we're we are obviously having this conversation and we're talking about it, and but I think that talking about it is like we're talking about the the faults with the trial and the the ghost part of it like we're having more fun with it we're also not collecting money off of this um so well here's the deal different. though too like like yeah i mean I've, i i can't help that i'm a storyteller i find these things interesting that said if i'm also not tacky like if i'm gonna make you walk into a ghost place with me i'm not gonna put up fucking pictures of their grizzly deaths it's just gross like there's a difference between like I've done a lot of like research on Jack the Ripper and I've been to a lot of the places in London and you can tell you sniff it out immediately. Mm-hmm. Like if you're, if you're walking around with someone and they're giving you the history and it's really interesting, it's like, yeah, that's awesome. And then there are other people that like, all they want to show you are the worst pictures of Catherine Eddowes. And you're like, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the ugliest corpse I've seen. Why do you keep showing it to me? Right. You know what I mean? So it's just like, it's just like some of the theatrics and some of the pictures just gets people into the theater of ghosts instead of just like, I don't know the thought of like, why does this story live on? Why is it so interesting? What, what are the things that can be discussed versus sleep in this room? See if you can see if you can stay through the night. Also there's corpses on the wall. I mean, it's like, it's now a haunted house. Like stop. Right. Well, and the reality is that when you go to these, <clears throat> you go to these old houses or th- these old B and Bs, there's a good chance somebody already died in that room. But you don't need Dude, to know, yeah. and and you can have a decent night's sleep. Like you're going clearly for the uh, the novelty of it, and nobody's going to sleep in that room. And it's just kind of morbid and gross, okay. and it's when I like at first I was like, okay, there's a B and B. Okay. You know, like it's down to the point where you can have the same breakfast that the family had the morning of, of the murders. But the crime scene photos was the thing that like really kind of turned it for me where I was like, this is too much. This is way too much, especially if you're putting somebody up in that room. Yeah. So uh, real quick, if you do want to stay at this bed and breakfast, um, <laughs> Also, sorry, go ahead and say it. I feel bad for the owners now. I've just like fucking rent them a new one. No, I mean, it's I, it's it's weird, but it's actually very highly rated. Um, on TripAdvisor, it has five stars. On Google, it's 4.7. Um, Yelp is 4.5. Some, some reviews have said 
reviewers have said potatoes, Johnny cakes, scrambled eggs, pineapple, coffee, orange juice. Stayed in the Morse room and OMG, so worth the experience. Oh my God. Can you imagine the Jaminet? Like, because the pineapple, or what was it? That oh, it's the pineapple in her stomach. Yeah. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you can stay at the Benets. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's the Ramses. They used to have their little Christmas fucking thing. It's so bad. I think that's the thing is that, like, and I, we've talked about this a little before, like, to do something like that at the Jean Benet house is so disturbing because that story is what 25 years old now and it's still very fresh and new yeah and like um we've t- I, I know i've brought this up before uh in milwaukee there's a, a tour group that's doing Dahmer tour yeah and people are very upset about it because it's still very new and like the victim's families still are alive and they're still there and i mean the this these murders happened in 1892, yeah. um, which is well over a hundred years ago. And there's some distance and some imagination. Some distance, you but know, it's still not that long ago. And when, when you yeah, put it in perspective, like, for, you and I have spoken about this, but there was an episode that I did that almost made me totally lose interest in this particular show, which was uh, her bum garden from mm-hmm. Indiana. And uh, somebody had reached out to me and they said, I went to, high school with his children and this isn't okay. And I really couldn't agree with them more. I mean, it was not okay. And I don't, I mean, I know why I did it. It was laziness and, um, <clears throat> but it really affected me. I mean, it made me be like, why did I do that? That's right, all. Right. Yeah. Well, and we, we like, like you said, we're storytellers. We like telling the stories. We're fascinated by this stuff, but, there's like that um that kind of like wake up moment in a way where you're like there's still people that are affected by this and you like that you have that moment of like I have to be more sensitive about this so I think well I think the hard part too for you and me Noel is that like you really are my best friend and we really do drink booze and we really do just talk about this stuff and we, there was a time in my life where I, I, I was like, yeah, I mean, listeners to me were like imaginary. I don't know how to explain that, Right. but it almost kind of allowed me to have no accountability for what came out of my face. Cause like, I'm like, yeah, I was talking to my pal, but when all of a sudden, like there's that moment where you're like, Oh wait, what if somebody, we like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, we'll, we'll go back to Lizzie Borden, but like, what if somebody like, doesn't know like that this is just an it's an interest and it's not like a pathology it's just like yeah I mean it's interesting but also who knows and we don't know totally and it's you mean everybody has an opinion and and I think we are we keep our opinions pretty even and we are for the most part rational people but we have strong opinions at times as well and I think we're entitled to that also the opinions of ours are not those of the booze companies that uh, no no (laughs) they're not no we have to we have to give that disclaimer yeah jeez no Coors Light would not even but about to know my thoughts on the electoral college (laughs) they just don't want to know they would they would just Strip my booze away from me. <laughs> All right. Should we go back to ghosts? Oh, my God. Yeah, for sure. Oh, Sorry. 
So if you do want to stay at this boarding house, you can uh, you can book a room through TripAdvisor or um, LizzieBordenBedAndBreakfast.com. Um, oh, one other thing that uh, I wanted to note was that apparently there are several vintage Ouija boards yeah. that are on okay. display. And um, I read an article in CountryLiving.com, which... <laughs> Incidentally, I think is the same website that um, I can't remember the journalist's name, but I think that's the website that he goes or he's working for. It's or the not website, the publication in Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Oh, okay. He's working for Country Living, and that's why he goes to. Um, he's going to do a piece on Jim Williams' annual holiday party, Christmas party, because yeah. it's such a big deal. Uh, but the and then the, he finds himself ensconced in, in a scandal. Mm-hmm. He finds love, all kinds of things, all swarts of things. Mm-hmm. Um. So this woman went and stayed in the hotel with her sister, and she was freaked out the whole time. Um. But she said that a fire alarm went off for no reason at 3:08 a.m. And when they talked about it the next morning, like all the guests talked about it the following morning at their like breakfast time, one of the employees like totally played it up and was like, Oh, that's weird. And then was like, well, actually sometimes that can happen between three and four. And so they're totally playing up all of that stuff. And then like with the, you know, because the murder happened at 10 30 slash 11 30 in the morning. Why would it go off at 3am? Oh, I get it. The witching hour. In the morning. Um, It reminds me of a Scooby-Doo episode where they try to, like, they try to make everyone believe they're ghosts by, like, looking like the jankiest ghosts and, like, Mm -hmm. making a fire alarm go off. Mm -hmm. What's that projector doing over there? It's nothing. Um, (laughs) What projector? What projector? Um, They're one of the galloping horse. (laughs) They're all holograms in Scooby-Doo. Uh, yeah, and the 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 hotel staff also like made a point of being like, don't play with that particular Ouija board. Ooh, <laughs> and they were like, oh, we won't do it. So uh, the ghosts otherwise are have. Although been I love Ouijing, we should Ouija soon. We should Ouija soon. Yeah. The next time we see each other, maybe we can do an online Ouija, and oh then <laughs> we have to do an online Ouija. The spirit gets trapped in the computer, and it's just like that episode of Buffy in the first season where Willow has an online boyfriend, but it's really a demon. Oh, my God. Let's do that. (laughs) But how will I know if you're moving the planchette? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, we lost Noelle. She just waterboarded herself with wine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you'd see the cursor, right? Um. Oh my God, the cursor's the new planchette. What have we been doing? <laughs> Technology has shown us the way. Oh man, it just happened organically. That's crazy. All right. Um, I may have died a little bit from that. Like, <laughs> what am I Crazy. Why did you just chug a stein of wine? Oh, and LaCroix. I was <laughs> chasing it with some lime LaCroix. Um, <laughs> all right. Come on. Ghost stuff. So. Um, the ghosts here are, have been reported by guests to be very polite, but make their presence known. Um, they have guests have reported the sound of a woman weeping. There are muffled conversations from empty rooms. That's just me from the next room crying silently <laughs> about like my bills and my job. 
<laughs> like it went on all night. And I'm like, of course it did. I keep it to my fucking self when I'm going to sleep. <laughs> Why did I think it was a good idea to book this room? <laughs> I can't afford this. <laughs> People can't hear me during the day. Now I'm really curious about how much the rooms cost. Um, we'll deal with that later. $925.58. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you buy that book? No one else. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> so dumb. Okay, you can hear um, muffled conversations from empty rooms, shoes shuffling across the floor. Uh, a maid reportedly quit after seeing the indent <laughs> indentation of a body on Abby's bed. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Andrew Borden enjoys watching the activities happening in the house and may answer EVP questions from time to time. Oh, um, oh <laughs> one thing uh, that I didn't put on my notes, but the woman who wrote the Country Living article um, wrote about how at one point she was hearing this beeping and it was getting higher and higher outside of her room. And when she, so she went to go inspect and it turned out that the woman who was staying in the room next to her had downloaded um, a ghost detector app app on her phone. And she, the, the woman writing the article made the comment of like, I don't really know how a phone app is going to be able to detect ghosts, but I will say that <laughs> the beeps got a little heavier when it got closer to my room. But I thought that was hilarious that like a ghost detector or like a phone app is going to be, that's going to do it for you. Um, well, you know what? My, my phone has a flashlight and <laughs> first of all, my phone is a flashlight. Good. Yeah. And then it has a flashlight function and I will tell you when I'm looking for ghosts, uh, I mostly use my phone flashlight. Yeah, mine has a recording function too. So when I want to have a conversation with a ghost, I just keep it on, which I yeah. don't. Your because... questions are like, are you naked? <laughs> what did you eat for your last meal? My questions are like, what year did you roam the earth? <laughs> so like when we listen, when we talk to ghosts, they get like, like, the same that you do, to, to, two totally different POVs. Mm-hmm. Mine's usually about, like, food. Like, what food do you miss the most? Let's <laughs> <laughs> like, talk to yeah, cool. eating all the time. Carla, but, like, let's talk a little bit, like, look around the room. Does it look like 1600s or 1700s? Which is a weird thing to ask a ghost, because how would they know what the 1700s look like if they're only from the 1600s? I, I actually think like my first question would be like, how has it been watching us evolve over time and watching all of the technology change? Is it blowing your mind or are we idiots? Yeah. And they'll be like, coal is crazy. I'm like, ah, now I got this. I know. I know what time <laughs> period we're in. So like, my family bought a steed. And I'm like, cool. We know what time period. <laughs> have you learned nothing in the last 300 years? How long have you been here? Cool. So you murdered your parents and now you're roaming the earth. Like, fine. Like, don't be gory about it. We get it. Let's talk about other things. Okay. Do you like Taft? <laughs> Did anyone? No. Nope. Um, nope. Not. Nope. All right. Uh, cries been, can be heard from Abby's room. An older woman can be seen moving about the house, tending her to her daily affairs. Uh, so... Most likely that's Abby as well. Abby was um, in her 60. I think she was 66 when she died. 
what is thought to be Lizzie can be seen in the basement looking for something, perhaps making sure that she has disposed of the evidence. Mm-hmm. An EVP recording caught the words, ma'am, come quick, which could possibly be Maggie Sullivan. There are cold spots reported in Maggie's third floor room. There are reports of an apparition in maid's clothing. This is my favorite. There is a disembodied cat's meow. Yes. That's perfect. (laughs) It's perfect. You like those cats. (laughs) It's really just a stray cat in the alley. Um, I love ghost cats. Was that a ghost or was that you? I don't, I think. Did you just, meow? What? What? I don't, nope. There's no cat in here with me. That's creepy. Well, anyway, Maggie had a cat. (laughs) (laughs) So the cat's meow is thought to be her cat. Uh, the cat is said to be friendly and will rub against those it likes. Um, it rubs against okay. their legs on the second and third floor bedrooms. Nope. Uh, then you have your standard lights flickering on and off, doors cl- opening and closing, followed by footsteps. Faucets? There are... What? No faucets. No. What? No toilets running. No faucets running. That's bullshit. But remember, here's the thing. The... Uh, original house didn't have plumbing or running water or electricity. So it kind of makes sense that they're not messing with the faucets yet again, but then they're also playing with the lights apparently. So that contradicts, (laughs) maybe they're just curious by technology or electricity. Um, There have been reports of shadow people, especially on the main staircase going down into the main hallway Staff and guests have reported that they feel something brush against them on the stairs and in various parts of the home. And finally, there are the entities of two young children who have been hurt in the house and they're sometimes playing marbles because Jay, I have another murder to tell you about. Do you know about this? No. There was another murder in this house. What? Prior or? Prior. No, shit. So, this just blew the whole case wide open. Not really. Um, So, (laughs) Eliza Darling Borden was the second wife to Loudwick Borden, who was Lizzie's great uncle, also known as Uncle Laddie. Uh, Uncle Laddie had four wives, which was not completely uncommon for the time. This was in the uh, like mid 1800s. Um, many like b- very common with wives dying from childbirth and whatever during the time or women, I should say. Um, Eliza killed two of her three children and then took her own life. Damn. The children were drowned in the cellar cistern. So they said she dropped them down in there. Whoa. Yeah. So they have a, uh, abuse running through their family. Well, they're now they attribute it to postpartum depression. She had three children very close together. Yep. And so the oldest child survived and the youngest two, which, so it kind of like all, everything kind of falls in line with postpartum postpartum. Um, well, I would say like, just, just so our listeners are clear, like, yeah, probably postpartum depression, but also, uh, a terrible, a terrible partner. Um, it reminds me of the book beloved. It's like, she thinks to herself, like, 
I have this terrible choice to make. Like, hmm, I can't live this way. And I'm, I don't want my children to live this way. So I think a lot of times in the media, like postpartum gets conflated into just murderous women. I know there are murderous women, but there are so many women who are like, I don't know how to get out of this. And I don't want my children to do this without me. Mm-hmm. I ain't trying to make excuses of it. Uh, what I'm trying to say is don't murder people. But like, I feel like some of these, some, some women get a really bad rap. I mean, it's kind of like they've been, they've been hurt so hard. They don't see another way out and they know if they're not there to protect, then these kiddos are going to be fucked. Well, on top of that, also not having the support to handle what you're going through because these women were put in a position where although they probably had some help, because they were an affluent family, um, they're still expected to perform in a certain way and maintain or uphold a certain image. And as, you know, as somebody who's had a child, um, I fortunately did not have postpartum depression. However, um, I experienced a lot of emotions from all of the hormones that are just basically like released from your body after giving birth. And it's awful. Um, I'm not one who does well with emotions. And so I, you know, there, there were several times where I was just crying and I didn't understand why. And I was so confused by it because I was so sad and I, it couldn't, I, I, it didn't make sense. And so I can't, I can't imagine like that was really bad. So I cannot imagine what these women go through and how awful that must be because it's got to be 10 times worse than what I experienced. So it, it, and and it's, uh, you know, for some women, unfortunately it is to that level where if you don't have the help or support that you need, that it's going to, um, get to that level. And obviously in the mid 1800s, that was just not available to her. It might've actually been earlier than that. I didn't put down the date. So uh, Eliza then committed suicide. And so the boys were killed actually in their house, which was next door to Lizzie's house. So um, after she killed the boys there there are a couple of different versions of what she did she either went to the house next door which was the house south of theirs which later became andrew borden's house climbed the stairs and slit her throat with loudwick's straight razor another version is that she committed self-destruction which is what they put behind the chimney or the cellar chimney so she stayed in the their house killed the boys and then stayed in the cellar and killed herself there. I believe self-destruction probably alludes that she slit her throat either or with the razor there too. Um, Guests will often leave toys for the children and claim to hear the sound of children's laughter when they do that. Um, Eliza Borden was actually brought up in Lizzie's trial to suggest that Lizzie may have inherited Eliza's madness, but it was quickly dismissed because they're not blood related. Yeah. So again, there's just like so many, you know, and, and 
you can't necessarily fault people at the time for not understanding because the the research and the technology was not yeah. available at this time. But there's so many like missteps and all of these things where now we can look back at it and be like, well, this actually makes sense why this happened. And um, so uh, if if you'd like to watch some some films or things about Lizzie Borden. There's a lot. There are a few books out there. Um, nothing that nothing that's really exciting, honestly. And um, I haven't personally read them, but um, a lot of it is speculative because there are there is such little stuff out there. So if you do read any of these books, I would say grain of salt. I think that 99, 1992 essay um, by, I have to go back up into my notes, um, by Alicia, Marsha Carlyle is definitely um, something worth checking out. It's called um, Lizzie Took an Axe, I believe. Um, but in 1952, the New Faces of 1952, a Broadway musical, featured a number called Lizzie Borden. In uh, On April 13, 1955, an episode of Playbill featured Ruth Springfield as Lizzie in a TV play called Lizzie Borden Took an Axe. Uh, there was an episode of Alfred Hitchcock's Hitchcock Presents that featured a Lizzie Borden story. We already talked about the uh, Elizabeth Montgomery TV movie. Um, our friend, not our real friend, but we would <laughs> love her to be our friend, Amanda Palmer, uh, wrote a song in 2012 called Ukulele Anthem. And the lyrics include, Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her father 30 wax and gave her mother 31 and left a tragic, tragic puzzle. If only they had given her an instrument, those Puritans had lost the plot completely. See what happens when you muzzle a person's creativity and do not let them sing or scream. And nowadays it's worse because kids have automatic handguns. It takes about an hour to learn how to play the ukulele about the same to teach someone to build a standard, standard pipe on pipe bomb. You do the math. Thank you, Amanda Palmer. Thank you. <laughs> um, that's, I love that. Um, we've talked about lifetimes, uh, made for TV. I think it was a, a series, like a, a limited series with Christina Ricci, also called Lizzie Borden Took an Axe, and then followed by the Lizzie Borden Chronicles. And then in 2016, Chloe Savini, you know her? Chloe Savini, yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? I never get it. <laughs> She's yes way too indie for me um she had an eerie experience staying at the bnb of course she did that led her inspired her to uh create the thriller lizzie she said i kept hearing all these weird moaning and groaning noises but there wasn't anybody else in the house it was terrifying it was pretty early and then and my then boyfriend was like i have to leave uh, he had a he had a strange experience where he felt a pressure on his chest. Um, she Chloe's playing Lizzie in the movie, and Kristen Stewart is playing um, Maggie Sullivan. The story depicts them as in a les lesbian tryst. 
Um, there's also, there are so many versions of the Lizzie Borden story in pop culture. Yeah. Um, so I'm just hitting on, uh, I'm, I'm just highlighting some. There is an episode of Supernatural called Thin Lizzie, which is a very fun episode, actually, that do- deals with ghost stuff and axe murders. And um, there's the podcast, the actual podcast called the Lizzie Borden podcast that you can listen to. Um, another thing that is worth mentioning with the axe murder, and it's something we've talked about before. Like we've talked about um, the axe murders in yeah. New Orleans and um, where was it in Kansas, I think, or Missouri, somewhere over there. Uh, during this time, it wasn't uncommon for there to be axe murders because it was a common tool that was used for chopping wood. So that's why I think, although I believe Lizzie was involved, it's, it's open to speculation that it could have been like a transient or someone for hire or something like that. Right. Somebody who had worked for, her father who didn't get paid because he was like, you referenced him as a miser, which was awesome. Like, (laughs) you know, he wasn't, he was a difficult man. And so like, it's possible, like it was a revenge thing as well, but here's what I think happened. I think that John Morse did it. The uncle. Hmm. I think that, but <clears throat> I also think that Lizzie and Emma and possibly even Maggie Sullivan were in on it as well. Uh, I think that it's possible that Lizzie and Maggie may have had a, relations that I'm not, I, I, I have no evidence to prove that. So that's purely a speculation on my part. This is all speculation. But I think that with the transfer of property to Abby's family, it upset Lizzie and Emma, as well as Sarah Morse's family. And they worked together to put together a plan, Mm. which made sense that Emma had been out of town and John was nowhere in sight. But John's alibi doesn't totally check out. It was rare for him to come to the house since his sister passed. So the fact that he had spent the night the night before is very coincidental, I think. Um, in addition to that, I think that it's possible that maybe Lizzie had tried to poison the poison Andrew and Abby, and maybe that's what caused them to be sick a couple days ago. And then that may have been a failed attempt. And after that, John was like, I'm just going to take, take care of this. So th- with it appearing that Abby was struck over her head or from above. I think the fact that John, um, it makes more of a plausible case for it to be him. So what I think happened was he left that morning, but he never really left. Maybe he had hid in the barn or he hid somewhere else until they knew that everybody was out of the house. When he left or when, um, Andrew left, then he snuck back in, killed Abby, waited for Andrew to come back, and then killed him, and then left the house for uh, for Lizzie to cover for him with the thought that they would never convict her because she's a woman. Yeah. 
And she had, but she didn't do a good job of covering up for herself. I think the fact that there wasn't blood, nobody reported seeing blood on her. Um, there was speculation at one point that she killed them naked. So she didn't get no. blood on her clothing, but there's not a chance. The reason I think this is because when, when the money was divided up after the death, uh, after Abby had to die, so she didn't get any money from the will. So the money went to Sarah's family and to Lizzie and Emma. However, the uh, Abby's family disputed all of this and to avoid lawsuits and everything, um, Emma and Lizzie just settled with them and gave them a large sum of money. Just kind of like yeah. make them go away. So I think this was purely financially motivated. I think that there was probably sexual abuse involved at some point as well with these girls. Um, but I don't know that that played, that was a motive, but that's my theory. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a good theory. I think it's the murder on the Orient Express theory. So it's like, if it happened, it happened and everyone was really good at keeping secrets. And Lizzie was really good at doing that trial. I think what happened is Lizzie is a sociopath. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. And, uh, like I'm sure she had, you know, people wrapped around her finger willing to do shit for her. And then it all fell apart. Um, but we'll never know. I mean, like you said, it's the OG OJ, like, uh, people, once, once, uh, once people get out of the mindset of like a grab and go, which means like you go into a seven 11, you steal a bunch of shit, someone shoots you. Like people have a very hard time understanding the narrative. And the reason they do is because people who know each other kill each other. And the narrative is incredibly complex. And so, you know, one thing leads to another. It's like, did the dad touch them? Probably. Is that what caused them to kill him? Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe especially. Did they have a weird childhood because their mother died? Yeah, probably. Did that cause them to hate irrationally their stepmother? Probably. So you start to get into these kind of things where it's just, it's so complex because it's a family (laughs) and they have all these like very particular hang-ups and relational things that like you and I, in our own families, we understand it. That we start to look at another family and we're like, what, 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 why would they do that? Yeah. You know? yeah. No, you're, you're, you're totally right. Um, my theory obviously is a very sexy theory. Yeah. Um, no, it's amazing. And I love it. I've read a lot of Agatha Christie. So uh, yeah. what you called out, but um, it's, and in, in, I, I mean, we'll never know. We will, we'll never know. It's um, you and I will know because we'll go to the bread and back breakfast. I'll demand the corpses <laughs> be taken off the wall, and we'll do Ouija. Right. <laughs> when the alarm goes off at three a.m., I'm gonna be like, guys, stop with the theatrics. We're trying to communicate mm-hmm. with my I downloaded this app on my phone, and it seems <laughs> to be working. <laughs> Listen, I don't mind, you know, turn off the lights. We don't mind. You and I don't mind. Turn off the lights. We'll just fucking sit here. We'll listen. Mm-hmm. I like the dark. Uh, so <laughs> I, if you you remember at the beginning, we I read the jump rope <laughs> poem. That's what we used to do. Did you ever say that? This Yeah. 
We did. Yeah, like you did it with jump rope. Yeah. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Did you know that there was a second verse to that? No, was it uh, Lizzie Borden did it just like OJ and the Menendez is? Uh, that would be the third. Uh, the second <laughs> is Andrew Borden now is dead. Lizzie hit him on the head. Up in heaven, he will sing on the gallows. She will swing. Ooh. I'll leave you with that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to High Spirits. You've been listening to part two of the Lizzie Borden episode. Thank you so much for tuning back in. If you listen to this without listening to episode one of the Lizzie Borden, like why? Well, please go back and check that one out. Uh, Noelle Schmidt and I are best friends that talk about ghosts. And so part of this is us doing some drinking. Noelle, who are you drinking? Uh, Tonight I'm drinking Boda Box Red Volution. Boda box, it's wine in a box, and I've got a whole case of it. Amazing. And I am drinking champagne from the French region of, I'm kidding, it just tastes like champagne. It's Coors Light. And it's from the beautiful mountains of uh, Colorado, from the town of Coors. So thank you so much for being my sponsor. Uh, we are going to on delay for this evening, and Noelle has one last terrible thing to say to you. Sweet dreams. <laughs>